Hello, everyone. Today with me, I have a phenomenal singer and actress uh, and voiceover artist. She has done Cats, Annie Get Your Gun, Tarzan, 42nd Street, Dracula, The Toxic Avenger, Kinky Boots, Bat Out of Hell, and as a Tony Award winner for her performance in Hedwig and the Angry Inch. On TV and film, she can be seen in Bex, um, and she's currently in Snowpiercer, going into its fourth and final season on HBO. And voiceover-wise, she has done My Little Pony. I have the phenomenal Lena Hall with me. Hello, Lena. Oh, my God. I am still not over that this is actually happening. <laughs> you know, crazy <laughs> things happen when you reach out on, uh, on social media. Sometimes I respond, I, sometimes I don't respond. And, um, but I do the same thing. So I'll reach out to people and I'll be like, hey, I know you don't know me from... <laughs> All right, so <laughs> let's get back to it. We'll only find out how it is if we get into okay, it. So. <laughs> okay, so. Um, okay. All right, so you were asking right, me, you were so. telling me, you were telling me how amazing I was, and you were telling me <laughs> about how I am on social media. <laughs> This is where we're picking up from. Just keep telling me how amazing I am. So, yes. <laughs> so, so, so my first interaction with you, besides like I was like variously tweeting you throughout stuff um, for like random things, like I want to see you do this, I want to see you do that. <laughs> um, the first like major interaction that I had with you was when I requested. This was after I saw the share show which I know you were a part of the workshop for it. Yes. Correct. And I requested for an obsessed share concert slash album thing. That was me. And then there was a whole thing. And you were like, yes, we're going to do it. And then I don't know if it did happen. Um, I'll be honest. I think I was still in, I think I was like in the middle of like graduating high school at the time. Was No, no, it was college. Cause it was the second UK tour of Wicked. So college. Um, <laughs> I love how that that like um, that's how you know how old you were was by what was touring. <laughs> what musical was touring. You're like, well, it was the second national of the <laughs> well, Um This is I before the pandemic, right? My profile picture at the time was of Amy Ross. Yes, okay. this was pre pandemic, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, pre-pandemic. This was I like had... about a year or two before the pandemic. Yes. It was, I think, it was my freshman I... And then my second interaction <laughs> with you was when yes. I created your memoir. I created your memoir for you. Your memoir title. What was it? <laughs> It was change your name, change your hair, change your life. <laughs> I created your so memoir good. title for you. Thank you. It was change your name, change your hair, change your 
a memoir by Lena Hall. <laughs> Gotta get. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember any of this. <laughs> Um, I, I would yeah, you know so anyway, so that's just what I love I love like how you were so like interactive with your fans but <laughs> what sorry you were saying something um we have a big delay going on so uh <laughs> I um oh, we've I can't remember <laughs> a lot of things at all because um I have a horrible memory uh, especially for passing things you know like a conversation that i've had with anyone really even my husband um about five minutes later i'll be like what you know what i mean uh so it's no offense to anyone uh i have a really short bad short-term memory i guess you could say um but uh and so no offense if i forget people's names as well it's not because i don't want to remember your name or I don't care about remembering your name. Actually, I do care quite a bit. I care too much. It is so embarrassing and I feel so bad when I blank on someone's name and I do it often. Um, and uh, so it it's not an offense to you. I adore you. It's just, uh, and this is to the general, everyone. Um, it's just my brain sometimes takes about a year in order to yes. click something in. And uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just what, one of the things I love about you. But my introduction to you was obviously the, um, the Tony Awards. And were and then but my like when I was like I was like oh my god this person is amazing I didn't because when Hedwig performed I was like wait is that a man I was like that's a man right that's a man and then um and then it and then like they came up and I was like wait but she wasn't anywhere on the stage for that I was like how did she win an award for the show that she wasn't performing with and then I and then afterwards I was like oh. <laughs> and then of course what really hooked me though was your show people interview. <laughs> Oh my god! And um, just... my favorite part, what my, my two favorite parts were, um, I think I changed my gender. The what was that? <laughs> yes, with <laughs> what did I say? People. You said I think I changed my gender five times that day. Oh yes, I did. I did. I changed genders five times that day. It was crazy. <laughs> and then it was talking about cats it was no dear it's like you're sliding down the gigantic top and it feels so good jillian lynn <laughs> that was my i like had a pause i was like crying <laughs> i'm so surprised i didn't get um, in trouble for that but i'm just i'm a huge <laughs> so Anyway, that was my introduction to you, and I've been a fan of yours ever since. Um, I want to start out by asking you about um, your childhood, because when I was doing my Woman Crush Wednesday post for you, I found out that you performed for Pope John Paul II <laughs> at seven years old. <laughs> yes. Yeah, correct. I How did. does that uh, even happen? Well, you know, it was a family affair, and... Um, <laughs> To be honest, uh, my family is not uh, truly all that religious. Um, 
I grew up in a very, very hippie family, hippie households, um, hippie parents, uh, a lot of pot smoking, acid loving, you know, uh, mushroom taking, just the whole house that I grew up in. It, it's like a, it was like a painting high on acid, essentially. And um, so we were the perfect family to um, welcome Pope John Paul to San Francisco. And, um, and the thing is, is that uh, my dad, my dad, uh, he was a choreographer. He had his own ballet company. And um, so they asked him to choreograph kind of like this opening ballet thing for the Pope when the Pope was coming um, to Candlestick Stadium, which no longer exists. And um, and then my sister, uh, so my mom was his prima ballerina, so she was in the ballet, so that's my mom and my dad. And then my sister was in um, the girls' chorus, San Francisco's girls' chorus, and so she sang uh, with the chorus um, a bunch of songs, I think, for the Pope. At some point, I can't remember if she was on stage when he was there or if it was just a pre-show, pre-show thing. I don't remember. I was seven years old. I, I, um, so randomly, and, and it was so random because I was standing at watching my sister sing with the girls choir, um, and they were like rehearsing at night in a church or something. And, um, I started singing along. And, and, uh, I would do that a lot. Cause I always wanted to be whatever my sister did. Like, that's what I wanted to do. So, um, so I was singing along cause I, I wanted to be my sister. And then, uh, while I was there, someone heard me singing and then, um, not moments later, uh, scandal, one of the little girls that was supposed to sing this trio for the Pope when he got there, um had to pull out of the show and couldn't do it and so someone said well she can sing and pointed at me and i then i suddenly was in the show so um somehow i this little blonde devil child uh appeared on stage to sing for pope john paul ii so the funny thing is is that at the time i guess in san francisco people weren't all that thrilled <laughs> with the Pope arriving and visiting San Francisco, I guess he just, it wasn't his place, like it wasn't the place for him. And so they had planned this really, really long motorcade um, to get to Candlestick Stadium. And they thought that along the motorcade, it was going to be completely packed with people all the way until he got to Candlestick Stadium. And it was not the case. It was not packed with people. Um, everybody was in Candlestick Stadium. I think there were about forty or fifty thousand people in Candlestick Stadium waiting for the Pope. And but there were none on the street. And so this whole long thing that my dad choreographed and my sister sang and blah blah blah. This whole long thing that my dad choreographed. Um, they were in the middle of it, and my mom was dancing on stage. Everyone was in white, and then suddenly the Pope just like appears on <laughs> the corner. When he was not supposed to, and uh, suddenly the ballet ended, and that was it, and it moved on to the next portion of the show because the Pope was early. And my parents always lovingly um, call this experience of our our lives the 
the family, our, our life, the Pope show. That was the Pope show. So, I mean, I'll write a memoir about this someday, but um, for now, it's, you know, just a, a distant memory in, in, in my brain. And I remember, I, I do remember being on stage with the three, with the two other kids. It was me, a boy, and another girl. And there was one of the dancers. Uh, there's actually a photo of it. Um, there was one of the dancers was on the stairs, right, sitting below us. There was like these big stairs um, up to the stage. And one of the dancers was sitting on the stairs in full white with, you know, a very ballet, you know, tights and the whole nine yards. And um, he had a, a microphone uh, that he was holding for us that we were singing in into. And, um, and at the same time, the three of us all forgot the song at the same exact time. We all went up on the song. We all just straight up had a group white room moment white room is in you know like a nutty room we just went there and um and i came back and saved the day because i was the one who remembered where we were going next after this so thank you very much i saved the pope show <laughs> so your so speaking of your parents who were both dancers they were both ballerinas um, or ballet dancers. Um, and you are also a trained dancer as well, correct? Yeah, correct. <laughs> was was that like, so I have, because I've always been in, because when people, when it's like in a show business family, I'm always curious, was like the show business, was it not forced upon you, but were your parents like, we're going to try this? Or were you the one that's like, I want to try this? Well, unfortunately for me, I was just, I needed the spotlight all the time. So the way that I got the spotlight was by performing. Um, I would basically like dance around. I loved dancing. I just loved dancing. Um, I would dance around the living room um, to whatever was playing on the radio. It was always classical music. And I would dance around the, the living room and do these epic long ballet, you know, things for whoever would watch and uh and that was basically like that i still do that to this day <laughs> i still do that only in a much subtler way um uh, but <laughs> um i did not think though because as a teenager and a tween so i gave up professional like I gave up really the dream of being uh, like a professional ballerina or rather like a, a prima ballerina. I gave that up when I was 12. I had like already kind of burnt out from ballet mm -hmm. and I didn't really like the way that they were treating me or talking about me, you know, mm -hmm. talking about my body. This is the time when my body was changing. I was getting really, I was getting tall and I wasn't like that perfect little beanpole that I had been before. And um, and I, I didn't like feeling like, you know, bad about my body. It was like the rest of the world was doing that for me already mm -hmm. with like that was the same era as like the heroin chic look and, you know, not the thing that wasn't really in and you couldn't find pants to fit was having a bubble butt 
right? And um, I had a bubble butt and I had very powerful legs and I could jump really high. Um, and, uh, and that was a problem because it didn't look like the ideal ballet body. It also didn't look like the ideal heroine chic body. Um, so now it's like so in to have a bubble butt. And of course <laughs> mine is gone because of Hedwig, but that's yeah. a whole other story. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah. So I, I was more interested in being like a lawyer or an accountant or a doctor, something normal. Um, I wasn't interested in the artistic life. And um, my parents, they didn't let me give it up. They were like, no, you're going to still take classes and you're, you're, don't stop dancing. You'll just keep, keep dancing and do musical theater. You know, I had the opposite experience of most people because my parents, they wanted me to be in the arts, um, whereas others' parents would be like, no, don't go to the arts. Make a nice living. It sucks being an artist because you never know what you're going to get. And um, and yeah, so somehow I, so I just kept doing it and I did musical theater because my sister was doing musical theater. And um, I got lucky. So uh, I had the talent. Um, I was still pretty green, though. But I had the talent, and I got lucky. And that's what got me to New York. And that's why I have the career that I have now. Well, and also, I'm, I'm horribly, you know, if someone tells me, you know, no, or I'm too this, or I'm too that, I'm, 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 I'm terribly stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Because then obviously I miss all this dance helped you with your first professional show, Cats. Yeah. Where were you now? I've heard now, I've read conflicting information online. You started out as a swing, or you were, or did you, or, and you covered the roles of Bombay Arena, Cassandra, and Demeter, or you played all three of those as principal on tour? I started out as a swing. So um, I was hired, and I didn't even know what the fuck swing was. Can I swear? Anyway. Um, so, so at the time, I was like, I was 17 years old when I auditioned for this. And, um, and it was probably one of the most epic auditions I have ever had, not including Hedwig. And um, uh, so... I was hired as a swing. I was like, what is a swing? They said, you aren't on stage. You, uh, you're an understudy, but for four roles. I was like, four roles? All right, that's fine. I can do that. Okay, so that's another thing about me that you should definitely know, which works to my favor, is I'm so, like, I don't understand where my limits are. So I will just say yes to everything. <laughs> Even if, like, when I don't, I'll be like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, totally. And then, of course, I can get there and I'll be like, oh, my God, what did I do? But I figured it out, and that's kind of a good thing. So that's a very positive attribute to have is not knowing my limits um, <laughs> and not thinking that I have any limits, I guess, um, and just saying yes to everyone. Uh, 
but uh but yeah so it was just like they're like you cover four characters and um and then when someone calls out you go on and i was like oh cool that sounds freaking awesome so um i covered um bomb ballerina demeter cassandra and jenny any dots because i did tap one yeah i know no one does um, and so the first month I was there, I learned Bomb Valley Arena, which I went on for first. And then I learned Demeter, which I went on for second. And then I was learning Cassandra. Did I learn Cassandra's track? No, I didn't learn Cassandra's track because very, very shortly after I went on for Demeter the first time, mm-hmm. um, I, I, uh, the girl on tour playing Demeter, she gave her notice um, and I was somehow promoted to Demeter um, ahead of all these other girls and they were really, really, really pissed off at me. <laughs> oh. So, cause also, so when I was, I've told this story like three different occasions now. So when I was a child, I was obsessed with the Cats movie. Um, not the, 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 not the new movie. one. Not the new one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was specifically, I was obsessed with um, Bombay Arena and Demeter because McCavity was like my go-to song um, to the annoyance of my entire family. Mm. Um <laughs> And then, so would you, so, and also, but my favorite thing about you is you're like, I loved my time in Cats. You were like, I'm a weirdo. I loved it. Yeah. Hell yeah. So, and so do you, <laughs> so besides the sliding down story, do you have any other great Jillian Lynn stories? Um, she, <laughs> I, I remember, I don't remember what she said to me verbatim, but it was something along the lines of this. So. She came up to me. She said, so why, what, why are you, you know, why are you skittish? Why do you run around all the time? Why are you afraid? And I was like, because I'm afraid of McCavity because he, you know, is a bad cat and he treated me badly. And she said, she was like, he raped you and you're afraid that he's going to rape you again, but you want it. And I was like, <laughs> Oh my god something like that and i was like okay oh my god <laughs> she was like you're so you're you're torn inside because you want it but you know it's wrong <laughs> <laughs> i was like holy shit all right i'm 19 years old jillian lynn okay um yes at the time because i did the tour when i was 18 and until may uh so um, I did the tour for a year and three months. So I had just, you know, I was like three months into my 19th year. And that was when I was moved to the Broadway company. And that was when I met Jillian Lynn. And that's when I had that mo- those those moments with Jillian Lynn, which were, you know, classic. And anyone who, who did Cats and got to have like a session with Jillian Lynn will tell you, you know, it, it was all about assy holes and titties to the wind and just like everything was, was just completely sexual. And I mean, it was great. Um, and you just can't get away with that anymore. It is, but she was something special and 
anyone who may find offense to that or you know what it was great <laughs> I, she was such an amazing choreographer and i just i think that the world underappreciated her because mm. she did not win any major awards for cats or phantom she didn't know which i think is thievery outright thievery um <laughs> but I just think, like, she's so, like, the fact that, like, I know, and I, I'm going to go off on the Jillian Lynn tangent here. I apologize. Um, <laughs> and then we'll go back to praising you. Thank um, you. <laughs> I just, like, what she did with that show and what she did for theater with that show, it's just, it's, it was brilliant. I mean, she literally took a show that people could have, that literally, that could have easily just been a joke and she made it just something brilliant and when they when they removed her choreography for the revival i said nope no 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 they put yeah, it that, back right they what didn't they put it back nope they didn't put it back they used, i didn't see the revival <laughs> that's okay. it was i saw the tour and i was like okay cool i was like that was a thing um i just for me, just some of like, it just missed, like, with Jillian Lynn being, like, a, a, like she literally, like, grew up in a ballet house, I think. Like, you just miss, like, all of, like, the nuances and also just all the nuances that she gives the entire cast, like, with you and, like, with meeting all of them. And there was also times where they cut out some of her great choreography for, like, a random lift that wasn't even, like, effective or interesting. It was weird. Hmm. <sighs> well, That's you know, sometimes... Sometimes a show, like certain things in a show are what make the show. Exactly. And perhaps it was like the sets and choreography. Well, I don't know. Maybe it was the choreography. It was just like such an intricate part of the show that that's what made it so successful. And if you take one of those elements out, it's just kind of like missing the mark a bit. Uh, mm. I've, I'm curious, you know. I don't know. Cer certain shows are like synonymous with the person who starred in the show and you cannot recreate that no matter how hard you try because it was that person who made that show anything. And mm -hmm. when you take that, when that person is lo no longer there or no longer old or young enough to do the show and mm -hmm. you're reviving it, sometimes, you know, it was actually just the person that made that show really really good and when and it just can't be replicated okay now we'll go back to praising you thank you <laughs> so you did do you then went on the tour of annie get your gun yeah and you, annie <laughs> and this I was did, the bernadette peters production this was the bernadette peters production but it was um mary lou henner and rex smith um, and then Tom Wopat came out to uh, join the tour. And we also had Crystal. Who the fuck? Who was there? Anyway, it was kind of a, a revolving door. And I, I turned 21 on that tour. And um, I already owned real estate in, in New York. I bought my apartment when I was doing Cats in uh, 1999 up in, up in uh, Washington Heights. In the Heights? In the Heights, yeah. Um, and... Uh, like, I don't know, I went on tour and um, I was expecting it to be something very different than what it was, but it was fun. 
Um, yeah, I did. I was Mary Lou's like stunt double. I did like trapeze for her or whatever. And, um, and that was the tour where I dyed my hair red. Um, because I wore a red wig to be her stunt double and everyone was like, you should be a redhead. And I was like, <laughs> all right. So I dyed my hair red and that was like, I, and then I was red for 10 years after that. Um, but I'm a natural blonde. So, um, you know, it was just, it was a choice and it was a poor choice for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> now in those 10 years, I believe I've <laughs> I'm lying correctly. You were in Tarzan. Yep. Um, and now I never saw Tarzan, but what, so I've always, cause always people have different experiences working on Disney shows. What was mm. your experience working on a Disney show on this Disney show? Well, you know, uh, I was in the ensemble and I was the understudy or one of the understudies for Jane, but I never went on um, for her. It was very rare if I went on for Jane. Uh, and um, I will say, I mean, I was almost killed under that stage. What? I was nearly decapitated. And um, well, there was a lot of flying and a lot of like, yeah. you know, there there was a lot of that. There was a lot... So this is before Spider-Man and honestly yep. like if if social media had been in full steam the way it was during Spider-Man it was still kind of up and coming so this is the reason why you never heard about these things is because it was like so like you could keep it hush hush no one was going on Twitter and being <laughs> like you know you'll never believe what happened to me and then you know then the press was coming to be like hey tell us the story you know what i mean like it was just like still like no one cared about social media. <laughs> um, and God, I would love to go back to those days. Anyway, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, like, I was almost decapitated. There were people who were nearly hung because <laughs> they were flying out of holes in the back of the set. And in front of the holes were very, very, very long pieces of green rope and fabric. And so they'd have to fly through the rope and fabric and they would fly through the rope and fabric and it would wrap around their necks. You know, it was just like, oh, so dangerous. Um, that show was insanely dangerous. Uh, but, you know, no one ever heard about that stuff. And, um, and it was all one big happy family or whatever. But um, I don't know. It felt like when I was in Tarzan, I felt like I had peaked. My career had peaked with cats. Um and <laughs> I was just kind of like, Tarzan was one of those things where I was like, all right, all right, all right. I need to get real here because I'm in Broadway. I'm doing Broadway shows. I should be over the moon every day going to work, loving my life. And if I'm not doing that, I am taking that experience away from someone else mm -hmm. who could, who who would love to have this job and be so, so happy and to have this paycheck and be on Broadway and just like love every moment, moment of it. So I had to actually, you know, like I, I, I quit the business for a minute um, after Tarzan. Cause I really was like, I need to recenter and figure it out, like figure out what do I want? Because I kind of stumbled into the world of Broadway. I had never been to New York. I had never seen a Broadway show in New York I didn't know much about the business. I didn't know like 
there was there's a lot about like the New York show business that I didn't even know and um uh and I needed to like figure out what was going to make me happy. How was I going to be happy? Um because it's bizarre to live a dream, quote unquote, but not like but not have dreamt that far yet. Mm -hmm. So like I hadn't dreamt that far yet. When I booked cats, I didn't dream that far yet. I didn't even know it was a possibility to be on Broadway. Like I just that didn't seem like a realm of possibility to me. It didn't, you know, like I was dreaming of like, oh, maybe I'll be able to play such and such in this, you know, local production of Sweeney Todd. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I was, I was trying to be in TV and film from a young age, always. Um, that was always the the goal for me. It was like always TV film and never for the reasons of wanting to be an actor. It was always for the reasons of wanting to marry Jonathan Brandis. There was no other reason <laughs> that I wanted to be an actor in a broad, in, in like on TV film. I was like, I need to be famous so I can marry Jonathan Brandis and I need to do a show with him. So, you know, a TV show with him. So I need to become a famous actress so that will happen. Like, <laughs> this was my thought process. Not like I need to work on my craft or like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm just a weird, like weird, like weird thought process. And I think of these things. Like, I think back to when I was like 11, 12, 13, obsessing over Jonathan Brandis, writing Gersh agency a full-on letter about how amazing I am and how they should represent me by the way Gersh was spelled wrong but like sending them this this letter this typed out letter with my headshot and resume I sent it over there and at the end of the letter and I'm like you guys should represent me I'm going to be a movie star and then um and then at the end of the letter I put p.s. Um, will you tell Jonathan Brandis about me? <laughs> so, so you know, like, <laughs> like I don't think I ever had the ability to dream far as far as theater was concerned. I had no idea. I just knew shows existed. I didn't know that Broadway was like this big thing. I didn't really even know what the Tony Awards were until I saw my first Tony Awards when I was on tour with cats because my fellow cats were watching the Tony Awards. And I was like, oh, this is a thing? Like, I didn't know this was a thing. That's insane. Um, um, so, so yeah, I mean, like, I was a ballerina. Like, to me, the biggest dream was being a prima ballerina at the San Francisco Ballet or in or in France, <laughs> New York wasn't on my radar. Weird, you know, like, I don't know what I was thinking or wanted. Um, I wanted to be a f psychologist. Like, what? Like, how did this even happen? So, um, unfortunately, Jonathan Brandis is no longer with us. He committed suicide um, in his mid-20s, and I am very sad about that. Uh, so 
I mean, it didn't, it doesn't change anything. I, I still want to do TV film, but, um, but yeah, it was like when I found out and I found out during Tarzan actually, because one of the girls in Tarzan was his friend and knew him growing up and cause she grew up in Connecticut and so did he. And she knew, she knew him and he was a friend of hers. And, um, and for some reason, I don't remember why, but I thought of him out of the blue. Uh, and, uh, she was like, oh, he's gone. Um, he committed suicide. And I remember I really cried hard that night because it felt like my childhood had died, you know, with that person because he represented so much of my childhood dreams. Um, so I live, I live on and I, I continue to want to be a TV and film star um, to make Jonathan Brandis proud uh, and to honor his life in some, some form. But, um, but really like I Broadway was just not on the, not on the radar. So when I was on Broadway, I was just like, this is Broadway. What do I do? And why is everyone so bitter? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so I left and I joined a rock band and I decided that, and I sold my apartment so that I could not have to take a job mm -hmm. and I could really focus on like, well, if I'm going to be in this business, what do I want to play? Like, what kind of shows do I want to do? Like, what, what, what kind of, you know, it was like a total, like, a plan to, to kind of like craft, a, not a narrative, but like to craft my career into a form that I would be proud of and not just jumping from job to job because that's what I was hired for. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and um and so i did shows like prometheus bound at act which was like a total it was written by serge tankian from system system of a down and he's like it's like hard rock but it was like also like amazing music and then i did uh the the last goodbye which was um this awesome show that took romeo and juliet and it married it with um jeff buckley music and that was really cool because it was rock and roll so it was kind of like i was kind of like you know when i i've always been this rock and roll girl and i've never gotten to manifest that um so i'm gonna go ahead and manifest that and this was all during when i was when i had my band and i was doing like heavy metal <laughs> hard rock music and um and kind of just like testing the waters and figuring out what it was that made me happy. So um, it all just kind of like, and then I did like, um, I did a few shows and it was always like, if the show had was written, the music was always written by someone who was a rock star. So, mm. you know, the next show I did to come back to Broadway, which was a couple years later, it was a lot of years later, actually, it was four years later. Um, was Cindy Lauper because she wrote yeah. Kinky Boots, and I was like, perfect. Okay, before we get Cindy into Lauper, yes, because I do want to ask because also around the time was it after Tarzan you did get your tonsils out, correct? It was during Tarzan. During Tarzan. During Tarzan, yeah. As someone who almost had to get their tonsils out, if you don't mind talking about this, why did you have to get your tonsils removed? Ah, well, um, I had abnormally large tonsils so my tonsils were like three and a half centimeters wide which oh, wow. is big so they're like testicles in the back of 
my throat. And um, <laughs> and they were always infected. Yep. Um, always, always. I had these white things that would come out of them and so gross. And um, I was just always getting sick because of my tonsils. Now, I never really had strep throat. So every time I would go to... Uh, ENT, they would be like, well, you haven't had sore throat, so we're not taking, or you haven't had strep throat, so we're not taking them out. And I'm like, but they're sore all the time. I'm getting sick all the time. They're horrible. I hate them. And they're like, no, there's nothing wrong with them. I was like, fine. And then um, during Tarzan, uh, during rehearsals, we rehearsed in this big like warehouse space um, to do all the flying and stuff like that. And they were building sets um, within that rehearsal space, like kind of next to us. Yeah. And um, there was a lot of wood chips and stuff flying around in the air, which always caused major problems for my tonsils, no matter what, like my allergies when I had my tonsils, my allergies were terrible, like just terrible. And, um, and so one day, you know, weeks after weeks have gone by that we have been rehearsing in this space. And, um, and I look in the mirror and I'm like, Ooh, there was this like balloon hanging off of my tonsils. And I was like, what the fuck is that? That is different. And that is so weird. And it was like, looked like it was full of blood and like ready to burst. And so I went over to Schuler Hensley, poor Schuler, and I was like, Schuler, can I ask you a question? He was like, sure. And I was like, will you look at my tonsils and tell me if it looks really weird? And so I opened my mouth and he looked and he was like, ah! Like, <laughs> screamed like a little girl. He was like, oh my God. And so he took me over to Tom Schumacher immediately, immediately took me to Tom Schumacher. He said, Tom don't freak out, but look at her tonsils. And so I opened my mouth and Tom was like, hey, oh my God. And so they were like, all right, we're going to find you like a vocal specialist and, and, and send you there um, right now. This is in the middle of rehearsal. So, um, so I was like, fine. Like I was fine, but like, I was also like, oh, I mean, maybe this is really bad. Um, so they, they introduced me to Gwen Corvin who is a vocal specialist in New York and she works on literally every famous singer you've ever heard of Celine Dion fucking literally everyone. And, um, and I love her for that anyway. And so she took one look at my tonsils and was like, you need to have these removed. She was like, you are a singer. You need to have these removed. I was like, okay. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, um, it wasn't an emergency emergency, um, but the blood filled abscess, it was a blood filled abscess. And that was like the balloon hanging off my, um, tonsils. That was like really like a big red flag because if it had popped, um, I could have bled out and died <laughs> from my tonsils, um, which is crazy to think, but yeah, apparently it's pretty bad. Um, there's a lot of like, there's a lot going on in your throat there. Um, and so, uh, so basically they were like, all right, so you need your tonsils removed, but we want you to wait until after the Tony Awards because, you know, you want, you're going to want to perform on the Tonys and da, da, da. And I was like, all right, fine. So we opened in the spring, of course, like in April or late March or something like that. We opened in and and we did the show and we were nominated for no Tonys. Um, so we didn't perform on the Tony Awards. And in July, 
or in late June, I, I got my tonsillectomy and I took a six week leave from the show to get this tonsillectomy. And first of all, A, it's the best thing I've ever done for myself and my life and my health. Um, B, it changed my voice completely, but I had to relearn how to do everything. I had to relearn how to talk. I had to relearn how to sing. I had to relearn how to do everything because I no longer had these giant balls in the back of my throat sucking up sound like a cotton, you know, like cotton balls, like just soaking up whatever. I really had to figure out how to sing again. Um, and it was interesting because any kind of tension that I had held in my throat, like when notes were too high or something like that, and I was really pushing for it, that went away <laughs> because suddenly I had all of this range uh, to choose from that I didn't have before. Of course, I didn't really know how to use it yet uh, right after, but it was like freedom, you know? Um and I realized that like, because my tonsils were so big, so they were so big, they were touching at the back of my throat. And that was when they weren't swollen. So that's the extreme of it. You know, they were touching at the back of my throat when I was relaxed and healthy. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was sick, it was like, I, I thought I was gonna die, you know, because it would completely close up my throat. Yeah. And Yeah, and you can hear it too on like earlier recordings, like, I don't know. There's bootlegs of cats out there, and um, you can like find was, like, some some video of me singing cats when I was really young, and I sound like I'm singing from my throat. Like I'm, I sound like there's something here. Like let me, I sound like I sound kind of like that. Like there's some stuff stuck in my throat, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that change, it just changed everything. And at the same time, I had joined a rock band, so that combined with my tonsillectomy um was like the birth of the sound that i can make i guess mm -hmm. um because after that tonsillectomy i had like no fear with my voice i was just like yeah, i'm gonna try and sound like this and if it hurts then that's bad if it doesn't i'm just gonna keep trying to figure out how to do that better um fuck around and try and find yeah, out so yeah, so that was kind of like the that was kind of like how I figured it out, and I didn't really have any vocal teachers or anything like that. Um, I just figured it out for myself, and again, it's that thing that I have that can be hindering or wonderful, where I'm like, "Oh, you think I can't do that? <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, no, but I I can do that. Maybe I couldn't do that, but now I can do that because you told me that I couldn't do that. You know." Or like, or the thing where it's just like, you know, like that, that weird, like, can you sound like Lemmy from Motorhead? I don't know if you know how Lemmy sounds from Motorhead. It's that thing where you're like, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I can do, yes, I can do whatever. What do you want? Yes. <laughs> so, um, so basically like that, that, those things combined just, it was like this great kind of explosion of of singing. And I was singing a lot. I was singing every day pretty much with the band or I was doing like all of these like either open mics. Like I would go to like 
I would do every single benefit I was asked to sing at, like every single one of them. I was like, yes, I will. Yes, I was saying yes a lot. And, and doing all those benefits and just singing all the time and singing all this different music, it was just like, it was like the perfect storm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now we'll go back to Kinky Boots as we were talking about rock stars and Cindy Lauper. Um, what had you seen the um, the movie before doing the musical? Um, yes, I did. Um, I remember seeing the movie. Uh, I watched the movie when I got the audition, so I watched the movie again just to remind myself what was the character, and then uh, I yeah, uh, and what was the accent? You know. <laughs> Um, and I got that audition from a self-tape because I was in Boston doing Prometheus Pound. And um, and I had gone in for Jerry Mitchell. Was it Jerry Mitchell in the room? No. Yes. I had gone in for just Jerry Mitchell. It was like just Jerry Mitchell in the room, a pianist. And I had sung some songs and I did the sides. And he was like, amazing. You're getting a call back. You need to come in for Cindy and Harvey. And I was like, okay, but I'm, I have to go to like tomorrow, uh, like leave. And this callback's not till like next week and I'm going to be stuck in Boston. And so they asked me to self tape and I did a self tape and I still have that self tape too. Um, and I sang the song that was later cut, but, um, I sang the song that Cindy wrote and I did the scenes and I got the job and it was just like, I did all the readings and the workshops and stuff of that show. I, it was me and Annalie Ashford from day one of all of the readings and workshops. Um, and we were the only, we were, there was like two maybe other ensemble members. And we were the ones who saw the show all the way through to the, you know, to the Tony Awards basically, which is really rare because a lot of times they'll just keep flipping through people. Mm -hmm. um, but they, they, me and Anna Lee were like the girls and from I think, the get-go. I think Robert Pendia was one of the ensemble members, probably. That was he that was there from the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, there were just a few of us who did just every single iteration until it came to Broadway. So wait, then who was Lola before Billy? Um, Brandon Victor, Dix Brandon Victor Dixon did it once. I remember that. Um, another Charlie Price was Colin Donnell. I remember that. Um, yeah, I can't remember the rest, but I remember when Billy and Stark came into the picture that kind of like, was like, oh, those are the, like, that's undeniably like right casting. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, that's, that's it. Do you know what I mean? Like, sometimes you're like, oh, this is cool. This is good. This is interesting. And then when the people who originate it, you know, like, when the when they do it on, doing it on Broadway, you're like, oh, okay. Oh, yes. Yes, that's 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 it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like the magic combination that happened. Nothing against Colin Donnell or Brandon Victor Dixon. I think they're amazingly talented. I just think that it wasn't quite right. Wasn't the right fit. Yeah. And then you were with the show for about a year before. Um, oh wait! Oh, before I before I go into this, you were was the so obviously your song was cut from the Chicago out of town tryout to the Broadway run. Um, was that mm -hmm. like? I mean, obviously it was probably disappointing, but um, <clears throat> like just but so um but so wait I literally just had my forgot my question I just had a brain fart. 
Um, <laughs> it's, called, it's the white room. <laughs> um, something about Cindy. Um, I forget. I totally forgot the question. That's okay. Well, okay. So when I joined, um, so when we started the whole process, um, my character was the one character that was so well written. Mm-hmm. It was interesting because, like, my character was the scenes were so well written. It was such a well written character, and then it was that pretty song, and like, it was really like good. The problem was that you liked my character way too much, <laughs> yeah. and you were like, "Charlie's a fucking." asshole like what a dick and lauren is just kind of like you know because their characters weren't written well yet Mm -hmm. and so as time went on um harvey started really cutting everything back of my character um and of course amplifying the important ones which were (laughs) charlie and lauren the ones that you needed to want to be together um and uh, and so at the end of the day, it just kept getting cut back and cut back and cut back and cut back. And finally, they were going to try and cut back the song, which was already not a finished song. It was already a partial song only. And um, I remember I remember Cindy being like, I, I need to finish this song for you. It's so beautiful. And I was like, yes, please. Yeah. And then they were like, we're going to cut the song. <laughs> we're not going to cut the song. We're going to cut this section out of the song. So it's just this. And I was like, I was like, well, what's the point? <laughs> I was like, why don't I? I'm like, what's the point? I'm saying it in this entire scene. Why am I singing it too? And they're like, really? And I was like, I was like, it's kind of like silly to just kind of like sing this little ditty, like so short when I'm, when I'm like, goodbye (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. like said my piece and then suddenly i'm gonna be like a new beginning you know it's just like it was just i felt like i felt like they were trying to keep some of the song for me as a person and not for the character and i was just like look guys i won't take offense you can you can cut the song um, and so they did. They cut the song, and um, they had already like they had already completely just ravaged my character of all of her good stuff. You know what I mean? They cut all the scenes way back. They cut like they just did. And I was like, you know what? Whatever. It's for the bet. It's for the good of the show. And um, and so people were always like, we're so surprised. In fact, Harvey and Cindy and Jerry, they were all really surprised that I stuck with the show just because the character had gotten so like cannibalized (laughs) from all the cutting. And I was like, you know what? I love this show and I really believed in the show. And regardless of the size of the, you know, really there's no small part. There's just small actors. Right. And, um, um, I was just like so happy to be a part of this cool show that I knew was gonna be great on Broadway, and I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine to be in it, even if it's just this little thing. So, so I kind of swallowed my pride on that, and um, and stuck with the show, and and I'm glad I did because I got to see it through, and it led to the next thing. So, which was Hedwig and the Angry Inch, Tony winning turn. 
Um, so you have stated that you were a massive fan before auditioning. So when did Hedwig come into your life then? I saw it when I was in Cats on Broadway. One of our swings in the show, his sister was playing Yitzhak, um, and she was leaving, and she had free tickets to see her last show. So, um, so I got free tickets, and my sister was in town at the time, and so we went down to go and see it, and I've – it was one of those things where you're like, oh, like – oh, I didn't know theater could be like this. You know, like it was just thrilling. I was like, whoa, like I want to do something like that. Like, where is that? Where does that exist? It was amazing. My sister and I, we were sobbing at the end of the show with our arms in the air, you know what I mean? And um, um, I never really felt that deeply about a show before. Um, until that show and and like I immediately got the recording and I listened to that all the time all the time all the time and then the movie came out and I saw the movie and the movie is good but it's not the same as the show the show is just the show to me is one of the most you know it's like one of those perfect shows it will never go even though it's a time period piece right yes. it is stamped in time um, even though it is stamped in time it will never go out of fashion like mm. it is a classic through and through and um and so um so yeah so i saw the movie but i was still like oh i love the show and then uh when i was in kinky boots i found out that they were bringing it to broadway with neil patrick harris and i was like uh i'd been doing yeah i had been let's see this was in december um, anyway, well, uh, so I found out Neil was doing it and they were bringing it to Broadway and I was like, I, ha I must, I have to be in this show. I don't care what I have to do. If <laughs> like, if my agent can't give me a fucking audition, then I'm going to go to an open call. I don't care. Like I need to get into this show. I need to do the show. So, um, so yeah. So, you know, long story short, I had the most epic audition process of my life. <laughs> And um, and I basically forced them to hire me because <laughs> no one was going to do that. Like no one was going to put forth the effort that I put forth and just make it undeniable that they just had to cast me. <laughs> I love because your whole backstory that you came up for Yitzhak, where you're from a town in Croatia that made the wigs for Cats on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it all comes back to Cats. <laughs> And then your mother hoarded all the yak hair and she died in the fire from when she went to take a cigarette. Mm -hmm. And I, and then going to New York City to audition for Rent and then Newsies was there. It was... And, <laughs> and then you're in the room because you were in character the whole time and you're in the room to get the producers to start a <laughs> campaign to revive Rents. And yeah. my part is there's a video of this entire thing out there somewhere. There is. I should. I should reach out. It's Kaleri casting. <laughs> I should reach out to Kaleri casting and be like, um, "Hey, can I think I I have a right to have that audition? I really want to see it." <laughs> <laughs> the world wants to see that audition. I mean, yeah. I'm. That's some crazy. Yeah, it was crazy shit. It's like gone down in history for them as like one of the greatest auditions of all time. I didn't mean for it to be. 
I just knew the show, like, mm. and I knew kind of what you could get away with with the show and how kind of, you know, what the comedy was, what the how open the show is. Like, the show is not this closed-loop finished show. The show is open for your own, you know, open to insert your own story into. So, uh, which makes it so good, and that's why it becomes so such a classic. But, um but yeah, I mean, it wasn't intentional. I just, like, I had the idea for the Kickstarter, and I was with my my um, guitarist, who's like a, you know, graphic designer, video videographer kind of guy and editor and things like that. So he had some skills that I liked, and I also knew how to edit video as well. And um, I was like, God, I should do a Kickstarter campaign and this kind of thing like that. And um you had like a vigil outside of the winter garden. Yeah, for cats. And um, like, I wasn't gonna do the Kickstarter campaign video. Um, Cause A, it was like fucking freezing ass motherfucking cold all the time in the city at that point. I was like, why is it so cold? And um, and I was nervous, you know, because it was like I had planned to like go on the subway and like busk for for money and like you know like it's just like stupid shit like in character like with a mustache on like weird. <laughs> and um and so we did it. Um, he he was like, no, you have to do the video, and I was like, all right. So we did it. We did the video and like it took a day to do the video, but it took a long day because we were filming everything and um. And then we edited it together and I did that voiceover and like, the thing is, is that like, for me, like, I didn't know much about like communist Russia or anything like that. And my, my guitarist did. So he helped me with any of those references that were important. And then I inserted all of the cat stuff because that's what I knew, right? <laughs> like, I wasn't necessarily interested in history but i was very interested in cats so um so that's how it kind of came together so if it wasn't for my guitarist like i really wouldn't have i don't think i would have landed that job i certainly wouldn't have done the kickstarter campaign and and the monologue itself wouldn't have been as like there wouldn't have been so many good, like, <laughs> good communist references in there. <laughs> so I was really, you know, lucky at the time. You know, one of those things, it's like it all came together at once. So all these, for years and years and years, I had been doing whatever I had been doing. And it felt like there was no rhyme or reason to it. And then it all coalesced right there for that moment. And that's, you know, that's how this world works. And that's, like, one of the cool things that, I think it's interesting that a lot of people forget and kind of give up. It's just that thing. It's just like never give up on your dream. Just keep on going and keep doing what makes you happy and then and keep having that dream and one day and keep working towards that dream in ways and um you'll never know <laughs> when it happens, but it it may happen and it may happen in the most outlandish way you could possibly imagine. So do you have any dream roles? Ah, see now people ask me this all of the time. They're always like, "What's your dream role?" I'm like, oh. "You know, I don't really know." I would say like Evita or wait, Oh my god, wait, I was supposed to see you in that. Yeah, and like 
Vita or Judas or Jesus Christ or Jesus Christ Superstar. You know, I don't know. It's hard because tastes change. Like my taste in, in music changes. Things that I want to do change. Um, I'd love to do like Sweeney Todd. I'd love to be Mrs. Lovett. That would be really fun. But kind of like, you know, expected, right? I kind of like the idea of doing things that are unexpected. Um, well, one of mine is for you is I would love to see your um, Cassie in a chorus line. Uh-huh. Um, I also had you as, um, what else was there that are, oh, um, Countess Charlotte Malcolm in A Little Night Music. I'm doing the unexpected ones for you. Interesting. See, I'm thinking unexpected more as like a man usually plays it, but you would though, destroy that. <laughs> you know, like, things like that. I had you as MC in Cabaret. Oh, yeah. See, that would be freaking awesome. Um, that would be awesome. Aaron Burr and Hamilton. Well, I would die for that, but they'll never. <laughs> um, and then uh, Jekyll and Hyde and Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> Why was I thinking that? So stupid. And also, one that I also had, and then I'll let you go, um, was Charlie in Kinky Boots. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, there's like, um, I, you know, and then I think, then I think, you know, oh, the role hasn't probably been written yet. Like, it's being written. Like, my dream <laughs> role is coming. I already play. I'm, it's like I already played the ultimate, the ultimate challenge that was Hedwig. Playing Hedwig, you know, was mm -hmm. like, is like the ultimate, ultimate challenge for an actor. There is no show harder or more challenging or more, like, I dare anyone to give me a show that is harder than playing Hedwig and Hedwig and the Angry Inch. It is a motherfucker of a role but it's one of those things that is so incredible when as an actor to be able to do it's it's life-changing and it's really really hard to match that with anything else and um you know i i want to do many other shows but like it's like in order to feel challenged again see i'm I look at things as like, am I going to be challenged? Like, is it going mm. to be hard for me? Like, the reason why Evita is going to be hard is because... She's in every single scene. She sings the whole motherfucking thing. You know, it's like it's like Hedwig, only it's not, you know, it's only it's Evita. But, like, yeah, that's a motherfucker. Like, that's a challenge. And, and I'm so, you know, so that thing in me that's like, yes, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> is like really like dying for something like that something that is just so hard that it's the only thing i have the energy to do on a daily basis mm. um you know usually with any other broadway show i'm just like i'm like all right so i'm gonna do a concert uh after the show and like i'm <laughs> doing all these other things in the day recording albums or like you know like, like i will i will stack my day up so much so that i feel that exhaustion that i'm so looking for to be challenged like that and um and hedwig is the only show that i've ever experienced where i'm like fuck 
<laughs> that was fucked. Like, you feel like you were hit by a truck when you walk off that stage. And you don't remember any of it either because basically she just takes over your entire body. Mm-hmm. The character just takes over your entire body and you don't stop. And it's just like this freight train that just keeps going and going and going. And then then you walk off stage and you're like, holy shit, what just happened? <laughs> what just happened? Was it good? Or was it horrible? Like, I don't know. But I was gone. I am no longer, you know, I was not myself. And now I'm back and I have no idea what happened. Um, yeah. But uh, I die for things like that. I would love <laughs> to have something that where I'm like, yeah, this was hard. It's hard every single day. And I love it. Like, you know, you'll see a big smile on my face. Of course, as I get older, I think things things will just naturally get harder as you get older. You don't have as much energy and you feel like shit every day when you wake up and you have things that hurt that you don't know why they hurt because you didn't, you don't necessarily have an injury. Um, you're just getting older and that's about <laughs> it. So, uh, so yeah, so there's all kinds of stuff like that, but, um, but Dream Roll will be written for me. Maybe it'll be like a one-woman show where it becomes like a one-woman Broadway show or something. I don't mm-hmm. know, but um, still looking for that. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been a pleasure. <laughs> thank you. All righty. For Deal. having me. And thank you for always like, you know, putting me in your like Dreamcast things. That, <laughs> that, that gives me an ego boost. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, like not gonna lie. That does make me feel good about myself. Um, so thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Thank you so much again for joining me. See you all next time. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> so here's to the girls on the go. Everybody tries. Look into their eyes and you'll see what they know Everybody dies A toast to that invincible bunch The dinosaurs surviving the crunch Let's hear it for the ladies who lunch Everybody run!